Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The oh, uh, ooh, I'm still alive. Addition, as the Bengals look to bounce back from last week's disappointing loss to the Jets and improved to 6-3 overall and 3-0 in the AFC North by beating the Cleveland Browns. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss what went wrong last week and answer the Ask Lap questions you submitted on Twitter. My one-on-one player interview is with Jonah Williams, who faces the challenge of trying to block NFL sack leader Miles Garrett on Sunday. I'll preview the game with one of three quarterbacks who played for both the Bengals and the Browns, Bruce Gradkowski. And I'll also tell you who the other two quarterbacks were. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss the 4-4 four and four Cleveland Browns with longtime Cleveland sports writer Tony Grossi. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Monday Night Football Manning Cast. Every Monday, I spend my evening doing prep work on the Bengals' upcoming opponent, and the so-called Manning Cast on ESPN2 has proven to be the perfect background entertainment. If you haven't watched it yet, The Manning cast is officially titled Monday Night Football with Peyton and Eli, and it's an alternate broadcast of the Monday Night Football game. It's basically like hanging out in their living room as the Manning brothers and their guests watch the game. The football content is fine, but the best part is listening to Peyton and Eli poke fun at each other. The guests this year have included a bunch of quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, and most recently, Josh Allen. I've got my fingers crossed that we'll get a Joe Burrow appearance sometime soon. Now, let's get to my guest list, beginning with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, did the Jets provide a blueprint for the best way to attack the Bengals' defense? Um, I think that the Bengals can make adjustments to what they did, Dan. They, they gave a lot of space, you know. They retreated. Um, and and then when things start to go badly when you're retreating, your instinct is to retreat more. Hmm. You know, the human, the human nature instead of, I'm not saying flight instead of fight, but I mean it's like the last thing you want to do is, oh, my gosh, this isn't working out. They're moving the ball. i got to make sure they don't throw it over my head. So you exacerbate the problem by dropping more. I remember we had a, a defensive coordinator who will remain unnamed on this one, but he had a cornerback that was, you know, got beat in practice as training camp, so he kept giving space, giving space, giving space. Defensive coordinator goes up, kicks him in the butt, and pushes him up to the line of scrimmage. He goes, get up and press him. Don't let him get a free release on you. Reroute him. You're doing the opposite of what you should mm. be doing. And I think that's what ended up happening in this football game. Is the it was almost like the human nature was the reverse of what you should be doing. You know, your natural reaction was almost like contrarian, and because um, you know one thing offensively you want to create space, defensively you want to shrink space, and the Bengals defensively were helping them create space, and it ended up kicking them in the butt and backfiring on them, and then compound that with the fact that they they didn't like Lou Anarumo said they block tackled, they didn't use their arms, they never wrapped up. And 15 broken tackles in one football game, over half of the offense came 
as a result of, you know, yards after catch because of space provided or yards after contact because of missed tackles. So speaking of Lou Anarumo, he's done a phenomenal job this year. He's right up there with team MVP almost through eight games. But I thought that they stayed with their defensive game plan too long and didn't adjust to what the Jets were doing. Is that fair? I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, certainly. Yeah, and, and I guess part of it is I, my, my reaction would have been, you know, shrink the space, shrink the space. Um, and maybe it was being said, but players just weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. And unless you're out in the field to actually, you know, make that kind of correction. And, 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 and then you look at the tape and, gosh, it's even worse than I thought it was. And <clears throat> so it was just – it was one of those scenarios where I think – this is an oversimplification, but I thought after looking at it again that um, Lou wanted to to muddy up the middle of the football field for White. You know, he did a lot of some zero stuff and all that, and he wanted to, you know, make that like, you know, rush hour traffic, not be able to sort it out. And what Lafleur did and what White executed was get it to, to the perimeter. You know, do the short passes, the screens, the. A lot of a lot of routes that were to the outside. Stay away from all that stuff in the middle. I thought they had a good game plan, and they didn't have to adjust their game plan. And the Bengals, you know, if if they did adjust, uh, took them obviously a little bit too long, and then did not execute either the game plan or the adjustment to the game plan well enough. I mean, the Jets made more plays. That's what it boiled down to. And how about White? Not only the yards, but the Philly special. He catches the two-point conversion. I mean, the guy's going to have a statue at, at, uh, at the stadium. I mean, after one game, he's – I know one thing. He's not going to be buying too many dinners or drinks in that town. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good considering how much they cost no in doubt. that town. No doubt. First quarter of the game. Fourth and goal from the three after the Jesse Bates interception. I don't want to second guess just because it didn't work. But at the time, did you agree with going for it? Or would you kick the field goal? Yeah, I probably would have put points on the board because of the fact that all right, I already got, I already took a hit, I already got staggered because they went right down the field in the first drive and scored. Then your defense makes a play and returns it a bunch of yards, and it's rare to get tackled the one yard line of interception return. It, you know, it, it's almost amazing that that he did. That's that's just an unbelievable hustle play. It was a seven point play as it turned out. But first and goal at the one, you get knocked back, two straight downs. Third down, your best receiver production-wise in terms of yards and catches and touchdowns, drops the ball, hits him right in the chest. At that point, it's like, eh, it's a rocky start. Let's get something out of this. Let's get some points on the board. You know, and then, and then okay, let's go attack again. But And that's easy to say. Hindsight is, is 20-20. But with all the things that went on before that, I think I would have been – and we, we both agreed, you know, you gotta you gotta kick it, <laughs> get the points. Yeah. I was with you at the time. I take that field goal. I wanna come away with something, avoid the risk of coming away with nothing. Uh, but it wasn't like I felt that way ninety to ten. I right. felt that way, you know, right. fifty three to forty seven. Right, right. No, you're right, because in in the competitive part of you is like I got are you kidding me? This is embarrassing. This is ridiculous. It's the Jets. They've only won <laughs> they've only won a game. We gotta we gotta Let's get even Steven right now. Let's establish something. I mean, I, I can see both ways. I can see a case for both ways. But uh, I, I've seen, particularly the way the first three downs went, uh, like, now you expect to rise from the ashes and make something, you know, really good happen. Well, I mean, the odds say 
I guess if you do analytics, if you have three bad plays in a row, what's the odds you're going to have four in a row as opposed mm-hmm. to have one good one? Probably favoring the one good one. I don't know. You can analytic to death. All I know is the Bengals took a shot to the mouth when they went down the field and scored their first points of the season in the first quarter. They were so confident they won the toss. Instead of deferring, they said, we want the ball because we feel so good about our game plan. We want the ball. They went right down the field and scored, and it's like, ooh. Man, now now it's like you, you get pushed off your spot here a little bit. You got to rebalance, recompose. So those are the reasons I would have done it. And they still had an eleven point lead in the fourth yep. quarter, so it's not yep. like that decided the game. But right still, on. thought it was worth discussing. All right. So far this year, the Bengals have scored fifty eight points in the second quarter, sixty five points in the third quarter, seventy points in the fourth quarter, but only twenty four in the first quarter. That's an average of three points a game. Now, part of that is they won all these coin tosses and they defer, so they've got fewer drives in the first quarter than the other ones. But why do you think the offense keeps starting slow? That's that's a million-dollar question. You know, it really is. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's almost like you think about it so much. You know, it starts to be a trend after, like, your third game. You know, for a game or two, it's like, oh, well, you know, it, it'll turn around. Now we're getting in, into the halfway point of the season, and it's still an issue. So now it starts to take on a life of its own, and you and you really start to to press and to try to maybe do too much, or I don't know. I I, I really can't explain it. You're trying to do too much as a play caller. You're trying to do too much to be too perfect in your execution instead of just going out and relaxing and playing football. I mean, it it has taken on a life of its own, just like scoring in the final two minutes of the second quarter has taken on a life of its own and coming right out in the first drive in the third quarter and scoring like six out of eight games in both cases there. That's taken on a life of its own. So there's a negative life of its own, then a couple of positive life of its own. Um, but, boy, if, if they could get that squared away, it's it's hard playing from behind, you know, in in the National Football League. And, and even though they haven't scored in the first quarter every every game, uh, or scored been the other team has scored first probably more than them every in in most games, they've been able to bounce back. I mean, they've been able to you know it, it hasn't necessarily been the biggest reason they lost the football game, but it's a reason. I think it's a factor. I think it's a factor for sure. Let's talk about the Browns. <clears throat> They're four and four. Baker Mayfield is playing with a left shoulder injury that will eventually require surgery. Kareem Hunt is out. Right tackle Jack Conklin is an excellent player. He's going to miss this week's game. Now they've got Odell Beckham Jr. and Sr. drama going on in Cleveland. How do the Browns look to you right now, and what are some of the keys to beating them? Yeah, I mean, they're still, they're still a physical football team. You, you, watch, you watch them on tape and you think, how has this football team not won more games? Because their offensive line is very good, their defensive line is very good. <clears throat> I mean, just in the in running the football alone, they have the best differential in the National Football League. They've outrushed their opponent by seventy six point three yards, best in the league. They're number one rushing it. They're number one in yards per while they're rushing it. They're third in stopping the run, and they're second in yards per stopping the run. That's that's exactly what you want. They're plus 1.7 per attempt. Mm. That's one. Now, that's first in the National Football League as well. When you can run the ball and stop the run like that, I don't care what level of football you're talking about, you should be a winning football team. Now, they're minus three in the turnover department, um, which is which is probably a, a little bit perplexing. The biggest thing is that, that their lack of takeaways, Dan, that, that stunned me. 
only five takeaways, tied for the second fewest mm-hmm. in the league. You know, uh, they've only got eight uh, eight giveaways. That, that's not terrible. But being minus three with just the five takeaways, they've only recovered two fumbles, tied for the second fewest in the National Football League as well. So, you know, you can always find a reason why they are what they are. But when you look at their personnel and you look at the way they've executed um, as a result of having that personnel, and they, they've had some injury issues. Chubb's been hurt. Hunt's been hurt. They haven't had their one-two punch at the running back position together for a whole lot of snaps. They've got a tandem of defensive ends that's as good as there is in the league. I mean, they, they've got players. They've got players. So um, the Bengals are going to have to play at a very high level to, to get this thing taken care of. And I think, you know, when you look at it, the Bengals are in such a good situation because they've won two division games. If they can win this one, they have <laughs> basically they have their next three division games at home, three in a row at home, and then they have to go up to Cleveland to end the season. Mm-hmm. But if they can take care of business on the division games at home and start 5-0, and and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but, I mean, if you can win this home division game and your first two division games in the second half of the season are at home, man, that, uh, that's pretty high cotton. That's, you know, that's, that's why you won in Pittsburgh and in Baltimore to put yourself in this position. Now you have to capitalize and finalize. Is stopping the run far and away the number one key this week? I think it is. I think, I think, you know, being competitive with their run game in terms of running it and stopping the run, mm-hmm. they're the best in the league, in my opinion, you know, combined. Um, that's, I think that's the core of what the Bengals are going to have to be competitive in those areas to win this football game. I don't think they can get, you know, just rush for 70 yards against the Cleveland Browns and give up 140 and, and think they're going to win the football game. I just I don't I don't see that being the case. I I, I see that that rush differential as being a, a factor. The Bengals are going to have to, you know, narrow that margin. They can't be outrushed by seventy six plus yards like everybody else has been on an average basis. Miles Garrett leads the NFL in sacks. I think we all know that. I was surprised to see he's tied for second on the Browns in tackles. So he's doing the job in the run game as well. When you watch that guy on tape, what jumps out? Freak, I mean, so explosive, and I think he's even more effective. Probably two of his ten sacks have come from inside, but man, he's so explosive, and they twist and stunt with him. And he's man, he hits gaps, and you know, he just he just overpowers people. He grabs two, you know, and he's just so effective inside. Ask Big Fred. Fred Johnson gave up a uh, you know a, a sack last year that was. And he lined up over Fred at, at, at Fred playing the right guard position, lined up defensive tackle, blew up the field, sacked Joe, stripped him, recovered the fumble. I mean, all of it. He got the he got the, the triple uh, dip ice cream cone. The sack, strip, fumble, and fumble <clears throat> recovery. They have a short field and they score. Big, big play in that football game. If I'm a guard, and I think I think they were going to say, let's challenge the guards a little bit matchup-wise. I, I think we may see Garrett inside maybe even more than people think, potentially. But he's, he's a son of a gun on the edge, too, though. And like you said, Dan, he and Clowney, Clowney, too. Clowney sets such a good, solid edge in the running game. Garrett's doing it as well. I mean, they're, they're just a very, very sound uh, football team. And Clowney, remember we saw Clowney when we beat Tennessee, when Quentin Spain was his first game with this historic, you know, <laughs> doesn't even know the names and faces of guys in the huddle. He goes out there and plays a heck of a game. 
Clowney was in that game. Clowney, to me, looked like, eh, looked back nine-ish. Now, he's got juice now. Mm. Now he's got a guy, that he, you know, a, a, a duo, a tandem guy. He's playing with a lot more juice than he played with when we saw him last, when Tennessee came here to Cincinnati in that game. Not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I pointed the lap signal into the sky above Paul Brown Stadium this morning, so I've got some ask lap questions that were submitted via Twitter. This one comes from Chris. Every player and coach knew the Jets was a potential trap game or a letdown game. In your experience, what causes a team to still come out flat? Man, Chris, let me... You give me an opportunity to talk about something that happened in our Super Bowl team in 1981. <laughs> First time we went to the Super Bowl. This is, this is unbelievable when I thought back to it because I thought the circumstances were pretty close. We're 5-2. and two. We go to play the New Orleans Saints, 1-6, down in New Orleans. Forrest Gregg's like, man, trap, T-R-A-P, big trap. Until he was blue in the face. We go down there, Saints spank us, 17-7. to I'll guarantee you all week, guys, I'm telling you, they're going to come out. They're, gonna, they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed by the Patriots. This is going to be a physical football game. You can talk to you blue in the face. Until you get out there and feel the trap squeeze on you, <laughs> you, you know, you, you, sometimes you have to learn the lesson the hard way. And what did we do? Okay, well, you can go one of two ways. You can fold your tent or respond. That was the last game in October. Then we had the November to remember, Dan. And I looked all the, the games up. November 1st against the Oilers in Cincinnati, 34-21, 13-point win. We go out to San Diego on November 8th, beat them 40-17. to And everybody's like, oh, the freezer bowl. Man, if you guys had played, we pumped them by 23 points in their place. We were better than the San Diego Chargers, now the LA uh, Chargers, but... Then on the 15th, the Rams come to town. Jack Youngblood and the, the second fearsome foursome as such. Fred Dreyer, all these guys. We beat them 24 to 10. Then the Denver Broncos come. Elway, I mean, it's a hell of a football team. It's when the Broncos were the Broncos. We beat them 38-21, beat them by 17. Then we go to Cleveland on the 29th. Five games in the month of November, the way that calendar worked out on the 29th of November. Beat Cleveland 41-21. The closest anybody came was 13 points in a five-game sweep of good football teams. Every one of these teams was a playoff contender. Then all of a sudden, yeah, we are as good as we thought we are. This, I'm not saying this football team is going to go on a five-game winning streak or a four-game winning streak or whatever and go to the Super Bowl. But what I'm saying is don't let one stub your toe where you broke your toe. <laughs> or Don't let it break your toe. Stub your toe. Don't let it break your toe. Respond, recover. You know, all your goals are still ahead of you particularly with respect to the division. You can bounce back against a division opponent, sweep the division in the first part of it, be 3-0 at the, at the break, at the bye week in the division. You're in great shape. And like we said, two out of the last three are at home. This is a big game. Stub your toe, don't break your toe. That's right. I like that. This question comes from RAS. Have you ever seen players come to the podium together to answer questions? No. Now – I shouldn't say that because, you know, um, when they have the big games that are network televised playoffs and all that, they'll have teammates out there together because of just the timing of it and all that. But they're not out there necessarily, you know, as one to answer questions. It's like they'll, they'll be peppered questions just trying to get a sheer volume of yeah. people out there. This was a situation where 
let's go out there and show a united front. We, uh, we, we all believe in each other. We believe in the football team, and let's, let's approach it that way. I thought that was, uh, that was a great idea, and I, I, I don't know who the idea it was, but all three of them should take a, a bow, I think, for that. I think their teammates appreciated it. I know uh, as a former player, I did, and I, they all um, represented themselves and their football team very well. I thought it was a very, very positive uh, statement, and I think it kind of it eased the fracture. It was it wasn't as bad a break of the bone, you know, after losing that football game. The way they handled it, um, they they stopped the damage, you know. They they basically stuck the finger in the dike and stopped the leaking of the dam. Um, and I thought it was a good move. I agree. I thought it was great. This question comes from John. In a season where the Bengals have been incredibly healthy so far, I'm knocking on something that sounds like wood. Should the Bengals have made moves at the trade deadline to position themselves for a playoff push? You know, you heard about all these potential deals that were going to be made, and just very, very few of them are made. It's just hard. It's hard to, it's hard to, to make deals that benefit both football teams enough where they both feel comfortable enough to do it. We don't know how many deals uh, they kicked the tires on. We don't know how many deals they got into big discussions on, but none did materialize. I have no problem with the fact that they didn't make any trades. Now I hope, and I think their number one focus still is to sign Jesse Bates. You know, I, I think their mindset is take care of their own. And even and now that they didn't make any of these trades and have to mess with any salary cap deal uh, scenarios in the in so doing, they know still exactly what they're going to be looking at you know at the conclusion of the season and for future seasons on so uh, you know maybe maybe the deal will come together for Jesse Bates before the end of the year who knows but I think that would still be my first priority uh, you know when you have um, when you have a teammate like Mike Hilton at the conclusion of a presser say sign Jesse Bates <laughs> it's powerful stuff you know those, those kind of things mean something I think and that would be my number one priority now is get number 30 signed followed closely by Larry Ogunjobi absolutely Next question from Governor Chief. How do you think the defense will respond after an abysmal performance last week? I think they'll respond big time. I think that uh, I, th- I think this one is going to be a, a cage match. I mean, I, I think it's going to be like MMA. <laughs> it's going to it's going to be a very very physical football game. It's a division rivalry. Cleveland Cincinnati are always physical football games. With what's at stake now. And, I mean, the sports psychologist could have a field day. You know, the Bengals have the big win in Baltimore, and they get full of themselves, and they, you know, don't listen to everybody about the trap game deal, and they go down to uh, go up to the Jets and, and, and lose that football game. How are they going to respond? I mean, they had more to lose than the Jets, obviously, in that football game, and, and they'd lost it, and the Jets won. Ball, uh, the Cleveland coming off a, a – a t- brutally physically tough football game. Pittsburgh Steelers lose five in a division by five in a division game. What's their mindset going to be like? I think both of them are going to come into this football game, Dan, angry, upset, disappointed, wanting to make restitution. I think it's going to be really physical, particularly at the onset. Uh, and then, and then what you have to do is, all right, you get over that phase of it, and now you you get into the the, the snap by snap grind of the game, but keep that intensity level high. And I think that's what we're going to see out of the Bengals. We're not going to see that intensity level sag like it sagged in New York. This question comes from Willie, not Cunningham. Can Hakeem Adeniji be the first guard off the bench 
once he's activated to the 53-man roster, assuming that happens. I wonder if that's Big Willie Anderson asking that old line question. <laughs> Big Will. It wouldn't surprise me, um, if, but he has to be physically ready. And the thing that he's fighting, like we talked about before right now, is not just um, getting uh, ready physically for football. I mean, he hasn't had any contact. So, and he hasn't taken all the reps at uh, OTAs, mini camps, training camp that all the other linemen took with Frank Pollock and his new new techniques, new footwork, and all that thing. So he's he's trying to catch up in a very very short time frame of thousands of reps that the other guys have taken. So it's not easy, and he hasn't played a lot of football in the National Football League. So you throw all that into the mix, and it's like I don't know if you want to rush it necessarily because. That could be counterproductive, and it could be a confidence buster uh, in some way, shape, or form. But he's got talent. And if, and if it looks like he's ready to play, I'd, I'd see how, how well he can play. I really would. I'd, I'd find out. Another offensive line question comes from Mon. Can you see Trey Hill getting snaps at center? Potentially. Um, but I think, I think the, the one thing that, that Trey Hill has shown, unfortunately – is when a, a problem happens, he kind of loses his mind. You know, it happened to him. Uh, you know, in Baltimore, and he only lasted a couple of snaps before Frank said, "All right, look, this you're gonna have to sit back down and chill a little bit." And then he did, and he came back and he played some played some snaps. But the one thing you can't have happen is the center who makes all the calls and everything that goes along with it. Trey Hopkins does an unbelievable job. Super intelligent. And doesn't never loses his mind. You know, he's like he's always got his. He knows the responsibility, so he's not going to lose his mind as such. Trey has shown that can, that can happen to the young rookie. So that that would be a concern of mine. That somebody that I've I've got playing the center position that kind of orchestrates you know everybody's movements based on his calls. He'll be very clear minded, clear headed, and all that sort of thing. So physically, yeah, I think he could. Mentally, maybe a little work to do there. The final two questions come from Bengals super fan and podcaster Zim. Zim's a good dude. Here's the first question. With last week's injury to Carmen and the uncertainty of Hopkins' knee, coupled with the fact that the Bengals are likely to have a couple of extra draft picks next year, how do you justify not adding interior line help at the deadline? Well, I think that uh, Carmen's injury was not anywhere near as bad as people thought, you know, at that point. Um, and I think that they're at this, at this point in time, trying to develop a guy that, that they've added to the interior line to, to improve it and to, uh, to make it, make it a better unit inside. So I don't think they necessarily want to give up on Carmen at this point in time. Now I know you're thinking because of injury, but again, the injury is not as severe as, as initially could have been, uh, so I, I think that's a that's a factor. And again, interior really good interior offensive linemen. People don't just give them up. I mean, it's you'd say, yeah, yeah, I want to trade for an interior offensive line. Well, I don't want to give you mine. You can't give me enough for what I think the value of my interior offensive lineman is. I remember that uh, Mike McCormick uh, divulged to me that uh, when I played center. To finish out a season, I think it was the 1980 season. I think I had to play Blair Bush tore his knee up, 
and I had to play the last six games at center, and Mike McCormick was our line coach, and then he, he went uh, to Philadelphia, and uh, and he said that they were trying to work a trade to go to Philadelphia, and the Bengals wanted a first or second-round draft pick for me. <laughs> and obviously, you know, like eight years in the league or whatever, that time Mike goes, hey, I love you and everything, but nah, that wasn't going to happen. Those are the kind of things, though, that people like, you know, somebody's, somebody's uh, trash is another person's treasure kind of thing, you know, in terms of what the values are. So that's why a lot of those deals don't come together, you know, that quickly. It's like, oh, no, man, that's unrealistic. I mean, yeah, I like the guy. I think he's a good player, but heck, I don't want to leverage my, you know, my uh, franchise's future. So it's, it's a lot easier than it sounds, and that's why 32 teams, all the talk about the trade deadline, and what, less than a handful of deals happened. If I'm the Bengals back in the day, I would have held out for a Ricky Williams-like <laughs> package for Dave Lapham. I want your entire draft, or I'm not giving Lap up. All right, second and final question from Zim. What position would Dan play, I assume he means me, in today's soft NFL? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about Dan Horde is – He's sneaky athletic. You, you, you got you to realize that he's very sneaky athletic. Plus, though, nobody is more intelligent than Dan Horde. Dan Horde could – I would, I would have him somewhere on the field. You know, he's got to have a green dot on his helmet wherever he is because I want to communicate with him because I know what I communicate will be communicated to everybody else precisely. Yes. And uh, so I would put Dan Horde in a position, safety – Something like that, where he has to he has to direct traffic and, uh, and and take care of take care of business that way. I I trust the man's mind as well as his body. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Reiterating that that is in the soft <laughs> NFL because you don't want Dan Horde trying to hit anybody. I can promise you that. Lap, thank you kindly. A pleasure as always. My pleasure, Dan the man. Great questions from Zim Huday, who co-hosts the Orange Is the New Black podcast with Ace Boogie. I look forward to being their guest this week. Up next, my one-on-one visit with offensive lineman Jonah Williams, who faces the challenge of trying to block Miles Garrett on Sunday. Jonah, I want to start with something three of your teammates did after the loss to the Jets last week. Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and Jesse Bates chose to address the media in unison. What should we take from that? I mean, I think that that says a lot about our team and the connectedness that we that uh, we're showing. And it's important that when we when we win, we acknowledge that we won as a team, and when we lose, we lose as a team. So there's no pointing fingers. It's just accountability as a unit. I thought after they had been embarrassed the week before by the Patriots, the Jets played violently on both sides of the ball last week. Did you notice a little extra juice while you were trying to block those guys? Yeah, they were playing hard, but it's the NFL. You know, we, we expect everyone to play hard every week. Um, so, you know, they posed challenges, and we just didn't do enough to win. You did score 31 points. That's the third straight week. You've topped 30, all on the road. What do you think is clicking right now that maybe wasn't quite there early in the year? I just think that we're, we've been together more. We've practiced together more. We've played together more. Um, so I think that we're really starting to gel as a unit, and um, it's also the progression of the offense. You know, um, schematically, teams are adjusting to some things, so we have to have good responses to that. Um, and I think we've been doing a good job. And you know, for the rest of the season, it's going to be important that we continue to put up a lot of points. 
We're visiting with Jonah Williams. A key play in last week's game was the interception by the Jets with about four and a half minutes to go. Mm-hmm. It's a screen to Jamar Chase. The right side of the line goes to the right, faking a run. You and Quentin Spain peel out to the left. You're going to block for Jamar. And it looks like if Shaq Lawson doesn't tip and intercept the pass, that's going to be a huge gain. Is that the way it looked on tape? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, you know, the the play call made sense with that defense, and um, you know, if if we executed just a little bit better, I think it would would have been a big game or a big play. And unfortunately, it was, you know, it just didn't work out that way. Sometimes the other guys make plays too. Joe Burrow's been sacked twenty times this year, but ten came in the first two games. You've only given up ten in the last six. What's been the key to protecting him so well of late? Well, I think I mean any sacks are too many sacks, so <laughs> I think it's been better. But there's a lot to there's a lot to clean up. Um, you know, it's it's similar to what I said in terms of why the offense is scoring. I think that you know we're working together, uh, working together better as an O line um, and as an offense as a whole. Everyone's on the same page, and you know Joe's making good decisions with the ball, and you know we're just doing a better job of protecting. So. Um, we play a lot of good D lines coming up the rest of the year, and it's going to be important for us to, you know, play our best game every week. We're visiting with Jonah Williams because you were selected three drafts ago. I'm not sure that people realize how young you still are. You don't turn 24 for about two weeks. You're 11 months younger than Joe Burrow. Do you feel like you're still early in your NFL learning curve? I do. Um, I, I don't look at that as a disadvantage, though. I, I just think that. You know, I, I have room to grow, um, and that's that's why I'm still here. You know, that's why I'm that's why I'm here at practice, working every day, and um, it's it's just to continue to get better, and you know, hopefully have a long career ahead of me. So you face the Browns this week, and that means you will be matched up against the NFL sack leader Miles Garrett. He's also tied for second on the Browns in tackles so far this year. So he's doing a great job against the run as well. You faced him last year. What stood out? I mean, he's a he's a phenomenal football player, and I think that that's obvious to anyone who watches him. Um, you know, he's he's quick, he's powerful, he has a good arsenal of moves uh, at his disposal. So it's it's on me and on the rest of the line to to use great technique and you know just do what we can to uh, to control him and neutralize him. And I think that that's going to be one of the big keys of the game. Watching their last game, I thought it was striking how wide he lines up. He's almost even with the slot receivers as opposed to right over you, what challenges does that present? I mean, it, it gives him uh, a running start and kind of a full head of steam by the time he actually gets to um, engage me. Um, you know, but it also opens up lanes in the run game. And, you know, so there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything in football. Um, so we just have to take advantage of that. Um, it is a unique alignment. Last week was disappointing, no question. But you are 5-3. and three. If the season ended today, you'd be a playoff team. Evaluate this team through eight games. Um, I think that we've shown a lot of really good stuff. Um, that makes me excited and that you know makes us believe that we can be a playoff team. It's just a matter of execution because I think we, we saw this past week that you know no matter how talented we are, how, you know, how many good wins we have, any team can show up and, and take it to us on the weekend. And so I think that we know we have the ability um, to be a really good team and to be a playoff team. We just have to continue to prove that, um, you know, for the rest of these games. Last question for Jonah Williams. The bye is coming up after this game. Anything fun planned? Um, 
just you know recovering the body um maybe eat some good food and um and hang out and relax a little bit but i'm uh i'm having a hard time thinking about that with uh, <laughs> these next uh four or five days in front of me um you know so i'll be excited about when it comes understandable beat the browns first enjoy the break second appreciate your time best of luck this week thank you for having me for what it's worth the bengals offensive line is currently tied for eighth in pass blocking efficiency according to pro football focus tampa bay is number one indianapolis is dead last the bengals booth podcast is presented by ultimate bengals the free-to-play fantasy football game Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time to bring in a former Bengals quarterback who is currently an analyst for Pro Football Focus and for Sirius XM NFL Radio. The perfect person to preview this week's game between the Bengals and the Browns is one of only three quarterbacks to play for both franchises, Bruce Gradkowski, and I'm going to name the other two at the end of this interview, so people have to stay tuned until the very end. Bruce, let's start with Joe Burrow. He's a little bit more than one year into his NFL career. What do you find extraordinary about what he's been able to do so far? Well, thanks for having me, Dan. And I just think Burrow, what's so special and unique about him is what he brings in that locker room and just the leader he is, the mentality he has. And of course, he has all the ability on the field. But I'll tell you what, anytime I've been around him, he makes me a believer. And I knew the Bengals made some good pieces and acquisitions this offseason. But to watch how they're playing so far this year, watch how Joe Burrow's playing it's just really a compliment to him and his leadership and his mentality of what is resonating throughout that locker room. And that's what I have a lot of you know respect for is how he approaches the game, his toughness, his mentality, and it's fun to watch. The Bengals have topped 30 points in each of their last three games. The franchise record for consecutive games with 30-plus is four, so theoretically they could tie that this week against Cleveland. What stands out when you watch the Bengals' offense right now? You know, the thing that's unique and that I was kind of pulling up numbers from our PFF data, uh, Burrow versus man-to-man last year, his his PFF passing grade was 79.3. In this year, versus man-to-man, his passing grade is 94.2. So I think Burrow's doing a great job, but you also have to look at his counterpart in Jamar Chase and what these two uh, do well together uh, Jamar Chase on third down has 272 yards. This was before last week. And, you know, second behind Justin Jefferson. And that just shows, you know, Burrow's third down grade as well, how that got better from last year to this year. And so just watching how Burrow continues to get better. I know last year they opened up the offense. He was executing a ton of different concepts. And now this year he's one year more experienced in it. Uh, they're giving them f- some flexibility at the line of scrimmage. And when you have a quarterback that could do those type of things, he's going to put your offense in a downhill play. Is Jamar even better as a rookie than you thought he would be? You know, he really is, especially the things we were hearing, you know, coming out of Bengals camp about drop passes and stuff like that. But then, you know, it goes back to 
you know, even quarterbacks, when we study these college guys or first year in the NFL, we're talking about, oh, they're inaccurate or a receiver dropping football. Oh, he can't catch. Well, there's so much on their plate as a young player. You're trying to learn an offense. You're trying to know where to line up and what to do and, and get used to the speed of game, to the speed of the game. Then all of a sudden, the ball hits you in the hands. You're like, oh, shoot, that's right. I got to catch it, too. You know, so there's so much going on. And so to watch Jamar Chase and his progress so far from training camp till now and what he's doing is very special. And I'll tell you what, against the Ravens, I was impressed with his yards after the catch. I mean, this guy's this this guy's tough and physical and explosive. I didn't know he could get away like that. And that that's what was cool to see. And I think the more Jamar Chase does it, the more he's building his own confidence and be like, wow, this is this is the NFL. I can dominate here. And it's pretty cool to see what he's doing already. We're talking to former Bengals quarterback Bruce Gradkowski. Let's talk about the Browns. A lot of people looked at Cleveland as a Super Bowl contender going into the season. I'm sure many people still do, but they're four and four so far. What stands out about Cleveland so far this year? You know, it's, it's tough. You know, I know Mayfield going through that sh shoulder injury. Uh, I had a shoulder injury similar in college that I had to play through at times. And, you know, it's not easy. And I know it's his non-throwing shoulder, but it's still something you're thinking about, something some that kind of makes you a little hesitant. Uh, but Mayfield has to play cleaner football. And, and I think, too, when you look at the, the Browns, you know, their playmakers have to step up. I know last week Jam uh, Jarvis Landry, you know, had, had the fumble in, in a key position. He dropped a pass another time. And, and your leaders, your captains, that's when they have to make plays because this division – the AFC North, you know, it's tough, man. And so if you have an opportunity, you have to take advantage of it. If you have a throw that's open, you got to hit it. If you have a pass that should be caught, you got to catch it and you can't turn the football over. And that bit, you know, the Browns last week against the, the, the Steelers. But this is a competitive division. A lot of games still left in the season. So, you know, if you're the Browns, you still have to be optimistic in that sense. Uh, but you're coming in and going to face a good, you know, Bengals football team and the Bengals coming off a, you know, a tough loss against New York, they're ready to rebound. So this is going to be primetime football, uh, you know, to watch. So it's going to be a, a, an exciting game. Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad basically called out Baker Mayfield this week by posting video that showed times that Odell was open and didn't get the ball. How do you think that plays in an NFL locker room? You know, it, it, it's tough. I mean, I want to say it doesn't carry a lot of weight, you know, because these guys communicate on a daily basis. So, you know, it could be something that hopefully they joke around with one another to lighten the mood and like, come on, man, tell your dad to call me if he has an issue or, you know, something like that, or let's get your dad on FaceTime and, and talk to him. But, you know, I witnessed it last week as I was grading the game and Mayfield threw a pass down the middle of the field to OBJ. It was a little overthrown and, you know, the safety kind of was creeping over, too. So it kind of looked like, what were you throwing me into here? And why would you leave it high and towards the safety? And the way OBJ got up after the round kind of gave a little stare back to Mayfield. Kind of had me intrigued. Like, ah, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of emotions going on. When you're winning, you could slide this stuff under the rug. But when things get tough, you know, you know, this is when things come to light. How can you manage these situations? Kevin Stefanski, 
How does he do during this time? He did a phenomenal job last year during COVID. How do you continue to bring the guys together? It's easy to lead during good times when you're winning, everything's gravy. But when you face some adversity, that's when, you know, the real testament stands out. And as a receiver, Dan, look, I mean, the great, the greatest of the great, uh, they want the football, you know, because the receivers, they want to be a part of the game and help the team. So I appreciate OBJ and wanting the ball, wanting to help, but he's got to do his job. He's got to run better routes. He's got to be in the right spot. And then when he is open, yeah, Mayfield has to hit it. So it's not just one guy's problem. Everyone plays a part in it, and they just can't seem to get in a rhythm. Bruce Gretkowski is our guest. All right, the Bengals are 5-3. and three, The Browns are 4-4. Four and four. This week's game's at Paul Brown Stadium. What are a couple of keys in your mind? You know, it's turnovers. Turnovers stand out to me. You know, who's going to protect the football, but also up front. I mean, I think you have to stop the run if you're the Bengals because that's what the Browns are going to want to do. They, you want to take some stuff off of Mayfield's plate. He'll play better when you're running the football. So the Browns are going to come off the bus trying to establish that run, getting back to what they're good at, what they're used to doing, and try to establish the ground game in a sense like that. Uh, and I think, you know, as far as the Bengals defensively, Joe Burrow, you know, Burrow did a great job last week through three quarters. Same thing defensively. It was that fourth quarter. It's kind of like a meltdown in a sense. I think the Bengals just had to put a four-quarter game together, play clean football, and Burrow just being Burrow. Uh, kind of like that guy behind you in that photo. Remember when we played the uh, <laughs> the Browns in Cleveland? Dalton goes down with a little hand injury or wrist, and uh, we come back to win. But a lot of good times. But I, I think I think the Bengals. I would love to see the Bengals rebound here because I think it would show uh, a testament to their to their team character and that they are a good tough football team. Hey, it happens. You lose a game you shouldn't. Now you just have to bounce back. Well, you referenced that game in Cleveland where you were the hero, the opener in 2011. You threw A.J. Green's first career touchdown catch to win that game. That's one trivia question. It's time to answer the other. Do you know the other two quarterbacks to play for both the Bengals and the Browns? Man, it doesn't come to mind right now. You know, should I know this? Is this one that I probably should know right now? Not really. The other two quarterbacks to play for both the Bengals and the Browns are Jason Campbell and Todd Philcox. Gradkowski, Campbell, and Philcox, the big three. Bruce, it's always great to visit with you. Thanks so much for your time. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks, Dan. You too. Good luck this week. Bruce became a high school football coach in his hometown of Toledo this year and took St. Francis de Sales to the Division II playoffs before losing to second-seeded Avon. Finally, it's time to take an in-depth look at the Browns with longtime Cleveland sports writer Tony Grossi, who joined Lapp and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show on Wednesday night. We started by asking Tony for his take on the Odell Beckham Jr. situation after the former Pro Bowl wide receiver was told not to come to practice on Wednesday afternoon. Well, first of all, I think it's safe to say that the Bengals won't have to worry about defending Odell on Sunday. There's no way can I see him uh, reconciling the situation and playing in Sunday's game. More likely, I see them separating somehow. Uh, the, the, the means must be, you know, kind of negotiated. I don't think the Browns want to release Odell, still pay him $8 million uh, and have him 
you know, join a, a contending team that the Browns may face somewhere down the line. So it's very possible, in my opinion, that we could see almost a Deshaun Watson situation here where the Browns pay Beckham the rest of the year not to play. Wow, that's unreal. So he would be yep. on the commissioner's list as such? Not, no, I don't think uh, any list. Uh, it's just that uh, they won't give him his release. Uh, they're, uh, uh, they're, uh, you know, he's guaranteed his salary as a vested veteran even if they would release him. And uh, I don't see it being a situation where he could play with them again, whether he wants to or not. So just game day inactive for the rest of the year like Deshaun Watson with Houston. Wow. Yeah. yeah paying, him, paying him to go away. That's pretty good. Uh, pretty good gig if you can find it, I guess. That's unbelievable. At any rate, so so he's, he's going to be – he didn't practice today, and, of course, they, they said, quote, shoulder injury or whatever, but, I mean, uh, shoulder problem, but it's obviously the uh, personal issues that he's dealing with. Yeah. Fifteen other players were on the Wednesday injury report in varying degrees. Uh, seven others didn't practice at all. Six practice limited. Two in- on the injury report, including Baker Mayfield, you know, practice full. Mm-hmm. How severe are a lot of these injuries? I mean, I know – you play the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're always licking your wounds when you're done. How severe are some of these injuries? No, these are all legit, uh, Dave. They've been beat up uh, for about, I don't know, three, four, five weeks. And uh, it's going to stay with them uh, the whole year. They don't have a bye week until December. Wow. Um, and they've uh, they've been beat up, there's no doubt. I mean, Oh, you mentioned uh, Odell. He's got a legit shoulder injury uh, in addition to this mess, and uh-huh. all all of the all of the injuries listed are, are fairly legit. Uh, they've played with him. Uh, you probably know Baker's situation. He's got a totally torn left labrum, right. and also a, a very small chip fracture in his uh, humerus bone. And he's playing with that, wearing a tight harness to to keep the shoulder from popping out even without contact. So uh, they're banged up, and it's partly re- the reason they're four and four. It is partly the reason. Tony Grossi from 850 ESPN Cleveland is our guest. Let me follow up on Baker Mayfield, Tony, because he's played great against Cincinnati the six times he's yeah. played the Bengals. And, and last year with Kevin Stefanski coaching him, he was so great at those rollouts and just using the running game to create wide open lanes or in, the, in the passing game. Have they had to curtail that stuff because of the bad shoulder? Are, are they reluctant to have him rolling out and potentially exposing himself to hits to the shoulder? This will be a good test of that because they surely limited him against Pittsburgh. But as you guys know, it's tough for quarterbacks to get on the edge against Pittsburgh. They play that, that wide yep. defensive front. And yep. it's, just, it's just tough to begin with. But – uh, clearly, they had two fourth and one quarterback sneak possibilities, and they didn't use the sneak because they don't want to further injure him. So I do, I do think he's more limited now, uh, and we'll see if they get him out on the edge. That's where he's more effective to be able to see the field, even if you're only seeing half of it when you do that. When he's in the pocket, it's very difficult for him to connect. He, he, you see him uh, sailing the ball high down the middle on, on a lot of throws this year. So Nick Chubb is now back. 
I, I yeah. guess we we won't see Hunt, it doesn't look like, but Chubb is back. The offensive line, Conklin, is he going to try to play with a big uh, brace, a big contraption? or you think um, he's, No, he's out indefinitely. He's, he's, so he's not going to have surgery, but he's out indefinitely. They haven't they Correct. haven't declared him out yet at this point, I guess. Are they going to put him in injury reserve? Uh, that's to be determined uh, by the end of the week. But uh, they termed it a multiple week injury. So who who goes for him? Is it uh, Hans or is it Hudson? No, it'll be Blake Hans, who's kind of emerged as their new sixth man. You know, they also have Chris Hubbard out, who was their sixth right. man. He's on he's on IR. Right. So Hans. Hans has emerged as that guy who will fill in. He's filled in at left tackle. He's filled in at right tackle. And now he's the starter at right tackle uh, indefinitely. So the offensive line, this the Cleveland Brown team, number one in the league rushing, number one in the mm-hmm. league rushing touchdowns. You know, they just they pound people. Do you expect even, you know, with Hans at the, at the right tackle position, that's not going to alter their mindset. I mean, their whole offense is built around – pounding the football, averaging over 160 yards in the ground. Do you expect the same type of thing this week? Oh, yeah, that, that's their bread and butter. And they were, even to do, they were even able to do that against Denver with Chubb and Hunt out, you know, with this number three, Dearness Johnson, the third back. So it's all based on the offensive line. And, and Hans has been uh, steadily improving under, uh, you know, Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach is known for improving players the longer they're playing for him. And Blake Hans is one of those. So I don't expect that to change, especially when you consider that Baker is restricted now playing with a tight harness and, and you know, knowing that shoulder has already been re-injured once already. How, how bad is Will's ankle injury and Treader's knee? How bad are those guys? Well, Treader's one of those guys who hardly ever practices but hasn't missed a snap in four years. Uh, He's always going to have a legit knee injury on the injury list. Um, The other one, Wills has probably survived the worst. Uh, He played uh, when he probably shouldn't have during the initial stages of that ankle injury. He he admitted that, but now he's uh, much better after he missed two games. So he's closer to normal. Couple more questions for Tony Gross, who covers the Cleveland Browns for the LandOnDemand.com. I'm looking at Miles Garrett's stats. He's got two more sacks than anybody else in the NFL. He's got five more quarterback hits than anybody in the NFL. I kind of knew that, but then I see he's tied for second on the team in tackles. That tells me he's playing the running game great. Has he taken his game to the next level this year? Uh, I think so. Although. He is missing the element of uh, strip sacks. You know, last year he had four strips in, in four straight games. I think one was on Burrow uh, early on. Um, yeah. He hasn't done that. Um, and, of course, he lost to Ben again uh, last week in a tight game. It wasn't able to affect that game. Uh, he is collecting the sacks, and he's a great player. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But it seems every time he and T.J. Watt are on the field together, T.J. has the better game. So, in terms of Clowney, Jadavian Clowney, ankle, knee, hip. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty extensive. Yeah. Uh, all, all three of those are listed in any, um, you know, he missed practice. 
Um, yeah. But he seems to be watching him as compared to when I saw him play last year when he was with Tennessee against the Bengals and watching him on tape this year. He seems to have more juice. I mean, is it because he's playing with a great player? Or what, what, what is his status physically, do you think? Yeah, he's got the hat trick of injuries right now. And, again, they're all legit. Um, uh, yeah, he uh, started uh, the year, the training camp, the preseason, uh, in a very happy state, uh, basically because he started camp healthy for the first time in, like, three years, in, in his opinion. He had, missed, he had missed training camps for the last three years of rehabbing injuries from the previous year. This year he started healthy, which made him happy. He liked the vibe here. He liked the, you know, not being the number one guy, the Batman, but being the Robin to uh, Garrett. Uh, and he knew the Browns uh, should contend. Uh, he is a uh, when he's on the field, uh, he's pretty, pretty well. You know, he's he's best against the run, and and he had two tackles for loss against Pittsburgh on running plays. It's, that's vintage uh, Clowney there. Uh, but when he's on the field, uh, he does help make Garrett more effective because they can't double everybody. Most teams chip and use tight ends on Garrett. Um, you would expect a little more pass rush numbers out of Clowney, but uh, uh, he's he's having a, a better year than, like you said, uh, that you remember last year and maybe even the year before that. So what about... Denzel Ward, how bad is the the uh, the hamstring with Denzel Ward? I think he returned to practice today. I think I, I think he was limited on their report, which was improvement because he missed the last game. And usually with Denzel Ward, when he has a hamstring that that forces him to miss a game, it's usually multiple games. So uh, I wasn't. Uh, uh, we'll see if he gets into the game. It. it it's going to be literally a questionable situation. Uh, but the fact that he, he was uh, at practice and limited today uh, was encouraging. So uh, we'll see how that one goes. And finally, Tony, and thanks for all your time. How big a, a blow was losing the rookie from Notre Dame, Awusu Kora? Yeah. That guy is a freak. He does some freakish stuff. The tape that I saw on him, <laughs> I'm telling you what, if he was in there, with Clowney and Garrett, are you kidding me? What was he? Yeah. How, how big an addition was that dude? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's what they envisioned. What you just expressed, and he, he was uh, he's kind of like a hybrid. He looks like a cornerback. He's so short, and he wears a cornerback number too, twenty eight. So so it's weird, but he's very quick. He was going to be the quick guy to help them defend Lamar Jackson. You know, uh, Kyler Murray. They got some of those guys on their schedule. Mahomes, uh, but uh, and he was coming along really well um, as the weak side linebacker, and, uh, and 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 had gotten to the point where he was on the field for three downs rather than just special packages. They loved the way he was developing and the impact he was having. So, yeah, that that was a blow. Uh, he'll be back um, in a couple weeks, I believe, uh, and is not. Uh, I don't think he's, he's not done for the year, but he is on IR. Our thanks to Tony Grossi, and here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 2.30 to 5.30 on ESPN 1530. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.